Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. Welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm so excited to be having a full hour with Todd Mulliken, uh, who is a counselor and professor. We're going to talk today about navigating both truth and grace in your marriage. And also part of that will be how to agree to disagree well in our relationships. And also how to handle when your adult children make relationship decisions you disagree with. Hmm. So we're, we've got a number of topics we're going to talk about today, and I want you to know the text line is open already. If you've got a question about uh, anything I've discussed so far, which we're going to talk to Todd about, uh, Todd is a counselor and prof- and uh, professor. He is at toddmulliken.com, counseling center in Edina, Minnesota, and he's back with us today. Todd, welcome. Thanks, Bill. Thanks for having me. So as we bring up this topic of navigating both truth and grace, those are two very big words. How do we put them together in a marriage and have it work well? Mm. So we know in the Gospel of John that Jesus came full of both of those, full of truth and full of grace. And you know, counseling folks for Kelly's for the past 30 plus years, one pattern I've seen a fair amount of is in the dance of marriage, one person might be fairly good with speaking truth, uh, being decisive, making uh, clear uh, choices and direct interactions with their spouse. They will not avoid conflict. They will address versus avoid tough stuff. And so they bring those types of strengths into the marriage. Some of their struggles or some of their blind spots that we all have may include uh, not creating an interactive environment, especially under stress, but more of an interrogative environment. Instead of walking alongside, they might be a last word Larry or a last word Lorraine. Mm -hmm. And, And they might just unintentionally, Bill, just lack the insight that they're really creating that environment because they may have grown up in an environment where everybody talks a lot and fairly, you know, inter, you know, just a lot of uh, raised voices, if you will, or, you know, a voice of dominance over them. And so now they're trying to speak a little louder emotionally or literally. So they, that's what the truth person brings into the marriage. And it doesn't mean they don't have grace, but sometimes I've noticed that their truth meter is just louder than their grace meter. Mm-hmm. And the grace side of the go ahead. Sorry, isn't tr- isn't truth also going to be a little personal? 
I don't know if I asked yeah. that question well. I mean, your understanding of a truth may be uh, a different understanding of somebody else's truth. Yeah, right. So how do I, you know, and it bleeds in a little bit of what we were talking about. That uh, second idea is truth teller bill, truth tellers bill tend to not know how to agree to disagree well, mm-hmm. which is one of the things, you know, you and I've talked about in our talks about marriage on your show is that, you know, we want to speak without offending, listen without defending the third piece is agree to disagree not every five minutes but you know every you know five weeks or five months right so i mean we're not Mm -hmm. always going to agree so one of the struggles that truth tellers can have is when they're locked up into that decision making mode with their spouse they just might lack the capacity to breathe and to say hey but what's your perspective (laughs) you know i'm very strong and decisive and know what I want, and I know what this, you know, the truth that I sense God is revealing to me about this issue we're having. But I need to remember that, you know, I want to have empathy and show Christ's grace with you. So, yeah, I think it's hard sometimes for people that err on the side of truth to uh, avoid. You know, they tend to get into very binary discussions. You know, it's this or it's that. It's us versus them versus, sure, a lot of black and white, but there's also a lot of gray, especially when we're dealing with the dance of marriage and decisions about parenting, money, intimacy, in-laws, COVID, etc. I want you to say more about the, the, the binary situation that, you know, if there's going to be a truth, there, there, there very likely will be a binary situation. It'll be yes or no. It'll be right or wrong. It'll be... Uh, truthful or not truthful. Yeah, there's definitely, we have some of those, correct? Uh, We do. We have those in scripture. We have those in situations. So, but in that process, how do I share strongly what my belief is about this when it's my spouse, when we are disagreeing on a parenting issue? Mm -hmm. So my, my sense is what the tendency for truth tellers is they'll take that binary view of truth, which is good. We got to have that. As Christ followers, we need that. But there are also topics, right, within our marriage about, you know, an issue of a parenting difference. One might be a parent that's a little bit more authoritative. The other one might be a little bit more interactive. And, you know, we might have style differences, or we might believe this about uh, an aspect of, of what you know, how much do we save for our retirement or what, you know, we're going to have differences. And mm-hmm. so one thing I think that I've noticed with people that do speak truth, you know, that truth part of Jesus well is that they're very strong in their uh, uh, thoughts, which is great. But in that strength, are they confident or are they arrogant? You know, in that strength, am I saying, here's my perspective on, and I feel strongly about it, but what's yours? So uh, can I go on the grace side of it a little bit? I'd love that, yeah. Yeah, so the grace piece is more of those folks that are seeking harmony. They're seeking to listen first. They're seeking to uh, peacemake. They're, they're trying to understand. They're bringing all of those aspects of our faith 
that Jesus shows with compassion and mercy and kindness and humility, all that stuff we read about in Colossians 3. And so they really bring that to the marriage beautifully and well. But, I like that. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's really good stuff, right? That's, that's really good stuff, yeah. Yeah, so that's the beautiful part of the people that, you know, err on the side of grace, and they're modeling that, and we just need that in our homes, and it's wonderful. Mm-hmm. What I've noticed under stress for people that err on the side of grace is they might think that, you know, conflict is is not okay to have, or if I say this, my spouse might disagree, and I might not want to hurt their feelings, or golly, when I say that, they seem to get really upset. So maybe I... I I better not bring that up and maybe I just need to keep that to myself or keep that between me and God. Mm-hmm. And Todd, unfortunately, what ha- go ahead. What happens when you've got an expectation that wasn't met, but the problem was the expectation was never discussed when it comes to truth oh. and grace. For example, uh, somebody spends $300 on something and the spouse says, whoa, 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 that, you know, that is not a smart idea. And in his, in his or her mind, it's like, well, there was never an expectation set as to what our spending limits would be. And now I just found out that it, I violated some <laughs> expectation that's never yeah. been discussed in the beginning. Yep. Is that a so, regular, regularly occurring thing that things are, it, are not being expectations not being met, but they were never discussed in the first place. Absolutely. And so just such a great point, Bill. And, you know, we're, and sometimes we get to major on the majors. We ideally have couples have Sunday summits where whatever's on their mind for the day and the week, we kind of talk about that. We let each other in about this purchase that's coming up or this tough parenting decision down the road or our adult child is in this difficult relationship. How do we talk about that? So we're ideally getting in the, you know, the interactive room and having these expect, you know, talks about our expectations and we're letting each other in not every five minutes, but certainly not just after the fact. And we're not always going to do that. So we need to trust each other's intentions. And this, I talk about this quite a bit. Uh, You know, we need to trust that the person who spent the $300 Their intention wasn't, you know, I look forward today to spending more money than my spouse would like me to do, and I really would like to hurt them. (laughs) You know, so they woke up up with good intentions, right? So it's really important for that person that's going, what in the world are you spending $300 for to realize, hey, now, and I'm hurt by what you just did. It's important to them to say, I'm hurt by what you did, and I trust that, you know, you didn't do it just to, and of course, unless they've been doing it every five minutes or something, right? So... Yeah, great point about having the expectations talk before, and it's important that we just trust each other's intentions, uh, especially as we're, you know, getting into the marriage uh, relationship, and we're, and we're even if we're in it many many years, and we've got some hurt feelings. So, yeah, so the grace person, the struggle with the grace person, and and just as it's hard for the truth person to kind of take a breath and create more of an interaction on tough stuff versus an interrogation, the grace person has to realize, hey, when I'm avoiding the mess, when I'm avoiding that discussion about wanting to spend $300, that, and, and, you know, that's on me. 
versus me going to the resentment bank and putting some money in there against my spouse. Right. Uh, right. Because, you know, so that's one of the dilemmas of the avoider is that they end up avoiding the mess. So that's kind of the setup for the truth and grace. And maybe we can talk a little bit about, you know, what happens to the couple that really does it well and what happens to the couple that struggles with that. Todd, what happens when you say that you've been hurt, but you're not being heard? Mm. Yeah. So you've been hurt, well, and you, you go and say, Todd, yeah. you hurt me, you hurt my feelings, and you're not being heard. They're ignoring what you're saying, and you're not being recognized, or you're being brushed aside. And now all of a sudden, can't oh. that hurt turn to anger? Oh, yeah, and that hurt can turn resentment, especially that... That's a pattern. Is it an incident? Is it, a, or is it a pattern? Yeah. So, so we got to lean in and have a follow up there, ideally right there, and say, "Golly, it feels like you're shutting down." Or, and so that's where you know, in that moment, Bill, both people are feeling hurt. Right in that moment, the person who was hurt is feeling hurt, and the person who is receiving the message is now feeling hurt. Mm-hmm. And that's when both people need to realize, hey, you know, we we know that our both of our identities are in Christ and both of our we're for each other. And we know ahead of time when we get into these squishy areas, we know that our intentions are still good. So how am I doing in that moment just listening to my spouse's hurt versus taking that on versus defending myself versus, hey, what about you? how do I just try to let that feeling land and know that he or she is still for me? Mm-hmm. And, and so that's, those are movements that couples need to be able to integrate into their story. Mm-hmm. My guest is Todd Mulligan and, and he is always this calm unless he is uh, watching high school hockey. So we'll take a short break. <laughs> Todd Mulliken.com, M U L L I K E N. We'll be right back. Let me know if you've got questions. Send them over, 877-933-2484. Be right back. Todd Mulliken today. He spells his last name M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N, ToddMulliken.com. We're talking today about navigating both truth and grace in relationships and how to agree to disagree well in our relationships. Now, Todd, I'd love for you to talk about that and how important of a component that is in any discussion. Hmm. You know, I've been, I think, counseling boys since maybe 1991, and I do not personally remember a year or so where it's been as difficult having reasonable discussions on so many different topics. Hmm. And uh, it's just kind of just grieving that. It's really hard. And so I know, and that's even, you know, makes it a little bit, 
more loud at home too because of the stress and the pressure people are feeling. So I, I really strongly believe that uh, we, we need to make sure we're trusting that the intentions that we start our day with are good and that we might not feel exactly the same on all aspects of the church's theology, but we you know, do agree on you know, the main things in our faith. We might disagree, if you will, on disputable matters in our world, even in, you know, some of our faith stuff, but on the major things with our faith and our values and what we're for in Jesus, we agree on. So when we get into those disagreements, you know, how do we model having interactions versus interrogations how do we model you know strong perspective or perspectives but really you know kind of getting all over james and you know quick to listen and i don't know about you but i usually hear a lot of people with a lot of answers (laughs) Uh (laughs) but i don't hear a lot of people with you know, I think, I think, and I can't make assumptions, but I just even know for me sometimes when I'm listening only, you know, you can kind of feel, I'm being weak here. You know, where's my truth? And I got to bring that out. And yeah, you do for sure. But boy, I've got to walk alongside. And how am I increasing empathy, which is not codependency. I'm avoiding or I'm pacifying or I'm afraid or I'm carrying, taking on but rather I'm walking alongside my adult child who's in a relationship I don't agree with, or I'm walking alongside my spouse who is is okay with the 300 bucks and I'd rather have it be 150. Uh, you know, how do we live in that tension? So I do think we have to, when we're in our wise minds and we're chatting about it on a Sunday, we're saying, Hey, we're both for, okay, I'm going to share my perspective, but, and, I, and when I'm speaking, I just want to be heard. I don't bring it back to yourself for an hour. You know, I got the floor, so let me share my perspective. And then if I'm listening, let me just listen to try to understand versus yeah, but, or, um, you know, uh, no, or well, I didn't mean that, or, you know, just kind of get on our heels and defend and avoid or run or win, but rather just try to take a breath and slow down and just try to understand. So I think we can learn how to agree to disagree well when we realize we're still for each other. God's still on the throne. God is still in charge. We might feel strongly differently about aspects of COVID or aspects of race relations or aspects on all the very pertinent, vitally important societal issues in our home or in our world. But and Todd, how I, important? Go ahead. Yeah. I'm sorry. I hate interrupting because you were on a roll. No, please. I'm an extrovert. I, lo- I love interruptions. So keep going. Yeah. Um, how important is it to say those words out loud? To say we're for each other. I mean, versus thinking it in your head is to say it out loud and have it that be part of the words that loved ones share with each other. Oh. Yeah, I'd be out of business. So in other words, yes, do it, but still go to Todd, right? (laughs) That's right. I, I just, I don't know about you, but I think generally in marriage, you know, what we can get 
what we can do is we don't really want to, we don't need to talk about the, you know, the good things. And so, so we end up not talking much unless there's a problem, which doesn't mean we have a horrific relationship. It just means if you think about it, we're, you know, we're not putting much money spiritually or emotionally in our what we're for bank account and speaking that out and confessing and clarifying and speaking out towards you know, most of the things you read in scriptures are not by, you know, keep that inside and then, you know, God knows what you're thinking and don't, you know, you know, confess, right, that Jesus is Lord and you'll be saved. You know, get it out. So I totally mm-hmm. agree with you. I totally agree with you. And we got a major on the majors there. We got a major on what we're for. Because if we don't do that, then we just generally have discussions about what we're against. We yeah. Generally, and, and then good luck. You know, it's like, man, we got to. Oh yeah. Oh, we got another hard one coming up. Oh my goodness. You know, so we have to call out that you're right. We're for each other. It's okay that we disagree. In fact, if we got kids, you know, we don't want them, you know, you don't say, Hey kids, come on over. Mom and dad are having a fight, but you also don't want to, I've had as many people in my office who never saw any fights and any disagreements at all as I have people that saw chaos, you know, so you know, in the home, conflicts are okay to have. And mm-hmm. just so we remember, they're all over the Gospels. Right? I mean, yeah. conf- conflict-ridden stuff. So anyway, in agreeing to disagree well, Bill, I think it's huge that you're right. We lead out and we share that we're for each other, and we're going to have a tough conversation about a topic we really disagree with. And can we just try to understand each other's perspective a little bit? And what are we afraid of? You know, what, what, are, what are we actually afraid of here? And Todd, I'm sure every couple has strong memories of that relationship formation period where you couldn't find, you couldn't wait to find out what the other person liked and how much you were for that. (laughs) Right. And I like to get out those photo albums emotionally. I bet you do. do Yeah. Yeah, I do that with couples because usually therapy is about let's talk about the 400 things that went wrong and we'll see you next week. And if that's all you do, (laughs) if that's all you do, then we have to do that. To know our stories and to to heal and to manage and regulate trauma and to move from fear to truth and to love, but and we also get to remember exactly what you said. We need to look at those photo albums emotionally and and do you know and affirm each other about what we're for. So when we have that momentum, it's a lot more natural to have a disagreement that goes well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think most of the time, Bill, we have tough talks when we're on our heels and we're both hurt. And then when we're both hurt, uh, it's, it's tricky because both yeah. people are operating out of a deficit in their shadow side. Yeah. Let me take a break. Let me know if you've got a question for Todd. Uh, 877-933-2484. Todd Mulliken is my guest. You can head over to toddmulliken.com to learn more about Todd and his practice. M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N. Again, the number is 877-933-2484. Be right back with Todd in just a minute. Let's get it started. Jump in your car. Yeah. What's for dinner? Hey. It's the 
So glad to be back with Todd Mulliken, and we are chatting today about some challenging topics, navigating truth and grace in your relationships, your marriage, and how to agree to disagree well, and also how to handle when your adult kids make relationship decisions you disagree with. I know, Todd, that's a very challenging issue, and I hear from listeners all the time that they're in need of prayer, and they're in great distress, and they don't know what to do, and it's very challenging. I'd love for you to uh, get that conversation started with me. Sure. Yeah, I think one of the most challenging things as a parent uh, is those times when our kids that are now adults are are making choices, uh, typically outside the home by then, that we really disagree with and we really struggle with. And we're, you know, they're not, you know, 15 anymore, uh, but we still have our thoughts. We still have our perspective. We still have our feelings and we still love them and we want the best for them. So, you know, it's hard to watch that. And what does that look like? And how do I, again, I would ask us to use the phrase phrase of walking alongside versus interrogating, uh, walking alongside versus uh, shutting down. So the visual there is, you know, on some level in the same way that the Lord is watching our choices and, you know, wanting the best for us and, of course, is intimately involved in our capacities and our, and you know, is just wanting the best for us and has that plan for us. I think sometimes that helps me. I know with uh, my walk with our three daughters and all the couples I work with, even when their kids are going astray or really involved in something they don't agree with, uh, you know, we get to yield you know, to the mercies of God, which is why they call your show and ask for prayer, uh, why they show up in my office, uh, that they just need to be understood. They just need to know it's hard, but one thing that I have people think about, and it sounds, I don't know how it sounds, but I think it's always important to remember how old your kids are, and then more importantly, what you were like when you were that age, and what you needed the most from your parents when you were that age. Uh, one thing that's very easy to forget as a parent you know, is when you've read a really deep, amazing book that's transformative in your life and your kid is 15 and you want to have a discussion with them, you know, and you're really all excited about it, they're 15, you know. And when you were 15, coming home from school, your biggest hope wasn't hoping that one of your parents would share some deep things they found out about a book they read. Not because you're against them, but because your life is full of other things, right? Well, the same same kind of matters when you're 35 or when you're 25 or however old you are, how, you know, so I, I've, I've found it helpful when parents take a breath and go, yeah, when I was 23 and I know my parents, you know, aren't into this, this person that I'm dating or that I've married, I, I know that. Uh, so when they share with me that, you know, for the 12th time that they don't like this person, or wonder if I'm making the right decision, 
got that covered, right? I heard you the first time. And so it's, it is important that we let them in, like I talk about, let each other in versus take things out on each other. So it's important to let them in about our concern. And it's important to remember that we have raised them. And biggest thing that I found the most helpful piece besides them remembering how <laughs> what they were like when they were that age is create the safest place for your daughter or son to have when or if things go south in their marriage that you're not happy about, mm-hmm. right? Because what tends to happen is if one of your kids marries somebody that's not helpful or healthy or you're really concerned and you've had as gently and as honestly as you could, you've let them in about your concern. If you do it too much, then, you know, they're going to pick their kid, their, their spouse over you for a while, right? If it's going to create too much of a wedge, it's going to create, you know, bordering on estrangement, which doesn't mean you have a, a party and great, you know, just excited about this person that your, your child is with. But remember who Jesus had at his table or where he went and who was at his, who was at the table. And who was at the table the rest of, you know, Christ's life and his ministry? Who, who you know, who, who did his heart break for? Who was he compassionate for? So I would say, like, if you, if you feel you've got a pretty good marriage yourself uh, and you're in your 50s or 60s and your kiddos with somebody that's not healthy, boy, but we got a, a wonderful place for our daughter or son to land uh, during this time of their marriage. We're going to show Christ's love and mercy um, to them anytime they come over. And that matters too, Bill, you know? So I think those are some general thoughts I have. Mm-hmm. Todd, what happens when some of the anger boils and the parents want to put in a healthy boundary and then all of a sudden they start weaponizing time with the grandkids or something like that? Yeah. Yeah. It's really tricky. And, um, you know, the truth in some cases is, is that, if a spouse is, you know, really unhealthy, uh, they'll take any kind of disagreement and and use it as a, a, you know, they're attacking us and they're against us. And then, you know, your kiddo is now kind of codependent on somebody that's even more unhealthy. And you're right, then, you know, grandkid stuff gets into being the mix. So I think as we started, you know, our time today, Bill, we are trying to thread the needle carefully of truth and grace. Right, we're we're threading yep. the needle there. So we're we're for having grace-based interactive discussions. We're for knowing that at the end of the day, you know, if something goes bad in their marriage, I would love it if the parents might be, you know, first, second, or third on their speed dial. Right? Versus, well, I'm not, you know, if I tell my parents that, they're just going to say, "Told you so." And I already hear that. And, I, you know, I mean, so am I going to, am I in this for the long game or am I, you know, just trying to win the fight? So I, I think even, you know, so we're, we might sometimes feel like we're avoiding something in order to see the grandkids more. But the way I would reframe that is more, no, I know the truth is I've had the honest conversation. The truth is he or she knows how my spouse and I feel. And we're still breaking bread with them, and we're still going to be at the table with them. Because the alternative, in my opinion, is worse. 
in most cases. Mm-hmm. In most cases, the alternative will lead to avoidance, eventual deep estrangement, and then, you know, the road back is even longer. So we can walk alongside, you know, I, in, in my opinion, Bill, and correct me if I'm wrong, like, I, you know, when Jesus was was eating with sinners, I don't think he was condoning what that person did in their worst moment. But he still broke bread with them, right? So I, I think you can break bread with your your, your um, daughter or son and their spouse, who you really struggle with, uh, and it doesn't mean you're condoning the relationship, it, or it doesn't mean you're condoning the worst things that happen in their story. Mm-hmm. It, it means you're 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 creating a place where love reigns and mercy happens and grace abounds. Uh, versus, you know, I, I, I can get pharisaical on my uh, kids' uh, spouses easy enough. You know, because um, I shoot, you know, so I think as a parent, we got to make sure we're erring on the side of, you know, grace upon grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, there's no condemnation. So and and being creating a table where our kids can come, in my opinion, is a better choice than estrangement. Yeah. Todd, speak to the dear listeners right now that are hearing this and maybe they have their sons or daughters that wandered from the faith, they're living in violation of God's will. You want to have a healthy boundary. You know, you have stood for biblical truth your whole life. So talk about the conflict between showing this beautiful love of of Jesus, who in fact spent time with people who lived on the margins and lived in terribly sinful relationships, and he would bring them to faith and show them their their wrongdoing. Uh, Parents do that, and the whole thing backfires. Yeah, 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 and I think uh, you know we do we we tend to. I think what tends to happen for for parents is that they get hurt too, right? And and they're human, and they get hurt by the rejection they feel, by the uh, the grief they feel that their son or daughter has made a choice that they don't agree with, or. Um, you know, they've left the faith or they're choosing spouse and what's going on there in, in ways that aren't biblical truths, et cetera. And I, I do think that we we still need to know that we are, you know, if, you know, that's why I love the prodigal message, you know, yeah. and I think that matters. And I think, you know, the prodigal son, I, I, you know, I'm not a pastor, but I don't think, you know, the, the prodigal son left for a minute. And came back. You know, it was it's a long haul. Uh, so we're in it for the long haul. But you know, we know that every single day of our kids' lives, uh, you know, we would die for them. I mean, we we want the best for them. So I, I think we can turn, we can grieve and receive comfort from the Holy Spirit, and have that be our strength, while we realize they're living in a way that we did not imagine. Uh, and know that God is still for us and for them, because otherwise our hurt can turn into resentment, and then our resentment um, can make us uh, very uh, almost dogmatic in a way that's not helpful, in a way that doesn't turn the tables over time. Mm-hmm. I would imagine you've got some clients that have some arguments and disagreements with their parenting styles and and there's lots of tension and anxiety as a result of that. 
Yeah, it's uh, it's it's you see that a lot where the the parenting styles are different. And, you know, when we're dealing with uh, grandkids, you know, my general message to the parents, you know, or the grandparents is, hey, you know, we're uh, they are your kids and you have a better bet of saying like, you know, hey, I want to, you know, what is your parenting style? Help me understand that. Unless it's completely, you know, uh, out of uh, complete left field, maybe it airs on one side more than, than the other for you. Just know that you're you're there to try to, uh, you know, help in their process and safe space. You know, my, my boundaries, Bill, in my books talk about have honest conversations, and and we can have those and still acknowledge our adult child's parenting view that might be different than ours. Okay. And we can do both. We can do both. Yeah. Todd Mulliken is my guest. When we come back, I'm going to talk about managing anxiety. I think a lot of people have more anxiety than what they're used to, moving from the what if to what is. Todd Mulliken is M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N, ToddMulliken.com. We'll be right back. We're talking about navigating truth and grace in marriage, how to agree to disagree well in relationships. And also we chatted a little bit, so how to handle when your adult children make relationship decisions you disagree with. And all of this probably has the anxiety umbrella over it. And Todd, if you would, in the 11 minutes we have left, give us a little lesson on moving from what if to what is. Hmm. Yeah, just to remind ourselves uh, that we know that anxiety is the most common emotional mental health issue in the world. It has been for a long time, and it still is. It's still more common than depression, more common than ADHD, more common than bipolar disorder, more common than any other mental health disorder in the world. So it's very common and uh, got even noisier during COVID, of course. And with all these other issues that, you know, come up in our world. So, uh, and some of us are more vulnerable to anxiety than others. Uh, Family history matters, uh, trauma and stress matter. One of the most common things when we battle anxiety is uh, we have uh, a worry that tends to help us build this house of fear and what if thinking. Uh, so worriers, you know, we all worry, and that's normal, but excessive worry can be tricky. Our Lord said, fear not, because he knows we worry a lot. So fear not is one of the things the Lord said more than anything else. So he knows that he walks alongside us in the worry. So the worry w- can make us go, what if? Well, what if it doesn't go well tomorrow? What if I make a poor parenting decision? What if uh, I lose my job a week from Thursday? What if, you know, what if, what if, what if? And... Uh, 
what happens with anxiety, Bill, is it first affects us physically. So we get physical reactions to the excessive worry and we get, uh, you know, we can have anywhere from severe panic attacks to very mild uh, disruptions in our in our mood. You know, so everybody is, it's always on a continuum. It's not one size fits all. And so, but the first way anxiety comes is physically. So when that physical reaction comes, then that usually affects our thinking. And then our thinking is what starts the what if noise. And usually what if thinking will lead us to worst case scenario thinking. Uh, so pre-COVID, I, I know I did a parenting seminar and a person came up to me after the seminar was over and said that they weren't going to let their kids drive till they were 18. And I asked why, and they said because uh, I did, you know, looked up some research and it said that if uh, your kids drive before they're 18, there's a 3% chance that, you know, they could get into some type of accident. Uh, so uh, that person said, you know, to avoid the 3%, I'm not going to make sure they don't drive until they're 18. So that person is making the choice based on 3% versus 97%. And that mm-hmm. tends to be what, that tends to be what happens with anxiety is we, we tend to make our decisions from the worst possible thing that can happen and then make our decision when we're really afraid. So the first step there is realizing we get a physical reaction, then it affects our thinking, we go to what if, and now we usually make our decisions to either control the situation and overmanage it just so we, so we feel better or to just run away from it and avoid it and not hop in the pool because the one time we did hop in the pool didn't go so well or whatever. So we tend to either control or avoid, and that's where our mind is taking us. But both have what-if thinking. So the idea from moving from what-if to what-is is not like an overnight thing, but it's just what we get to do. And what we get to do is say, well, what what is actually true about this situation? And so we slow down enough and we take a breath like I'm doing now and we say, well, you know, the truth is, you know, my oldest is a really good driver and they passed their test, passed their permit thing, they passed their driver's license and there's a 99% chance that uh, they'll, they'll be okay. And I'd rather live in the 99 than the one. And I get to do that. And that's what is true. So that moved me from a what if to a what is. And I've noticed when my work with clients and, you know, I treat anxiety disorders a lot, that when they live in more of their what is house, they feel better over time. Now, sometimes what is true is bad news. You know, the truth is my house is on fire. So I, you know, my what ifs and my what is are the same. So I got to call the fire department, right? But most of the time our what ifs are taking us to places that are more, uh, if you will, irrational. They're re- you know, it's understandable because we're, we're, you know, we have anxiety and fear and worry, but it's usually taking us to a place where our what if uh, house is pretty full and a lot of rooms in it. And then we ruminate about it, and we just can't get out of that house. And so by practicing going from what if to what is, it gives us more of a chance to know that 
you know, the Lord, you know, our Holy, the Holy Spirit is our, our counselor and he is the spirit of truth. And he can lead us into what is actually true. And it, it's not a, you know, cure all for anxiety in the moment, but it, it helps us create a practice where our dependency is to give ourselves permission to go to what is true and have the Holy Spirit be our advocate and walk us through it and sit up in the bleachers and watch the, the game before us here that the Lord is providing. And what is actually true about this situation I'm really worried about? And mm-hmm. what are my choices? What are my choices? How do I sort it out? And the other thing real quick I talk about, Bill, is the lies that come in when we're in what-if thinking. Like, you know, maybe you're not, you know, whether it's Satan or your biology or your family of origin or all the above, you know, that what-if, like, you're just, you know, you're not enough or you're, you know, you're this or you're that or whatever. Then, you know, that gets loud. And so we end up really defaulting into a lot of what-if noise. And that's, that's where it gets really hard, and that's why we get to go to what we're for and what is true, and that's what we want to major on is the what is versus the what ifs. Todd, if I'm doing this what if stuff, what is it serving me? Is it a is it some terrible spiritual problem I have? Because you know Paul says, "Don't be anxious about anything." But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. So if I'm doing some projecting, am I trying to walk through some scenarios in my head that's going to keep me calm? Or am I just wasting my energy and not trusting God? Yeah. I'll hang up and listen. (laughs) I'll hang up and listen. It is a great question, and I think it can be it can be yes to both. It can't it, you know, where we can, you know, uh, the Lord, you know, uh, I live in Minnesota, you know, and of course there's no traffic now. But if I sit in the middle of 494 at three o'clock on a Friday, I got something we're worried about, right? And so some, you know, it's okay to worry sometimes. So for some of us, it is just to sorting things out, and we're just a little bit more careful. And God can comfort us in that. But when it gets to the point where it's, if you will, a problem that's impairing our functioning, it's holding us up, um, you know, we're so afraid. And then, you know, we may even trust God, but we just feel overwhelmed, you know. So I think it's it's more of that in the middle issue where here's what I get to do with my worry. I get to bring it to the Lord's feet and I, I get to hear his voice and I'm still scared and I'm still having a hard time, but I know the Lord walks alongside me with that. And so I, I think there are certainly cases where it's just an issue of not trusting, but I think there's other cases where it's an issue of, um, you know, there's kind of naturally wired like that and they can still utilize their faith. You know, like Paul says in that same area, right? He says, you know, think about all the worst things that have happened today and the worst thing that could happen to you tonight, right? No, I guess he doesn't. <laughs> he says, think about whatever is true, noble, of excellence, of praise. Think on those things, yeah. and the God of peace will be with you. That's kind of the next verse after what you said there. And then later on, he says, and oh, by the way, the secret of life, and I'm going, please tell me, the secret of life is I've learned to be content in all things, whether I'm in plenty or in want. And that kind of wraps that up with, uh, you know, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. So 
ideally what we're doing there is pursuing contentment in Jesus so he walks alongside us with our what-ifs and guides us to the what is true. So I'm making decisions based on what I'm hopeful for and what I feel content in versus decisions that I'm excessively worried about and living in worst-case scenario. I'm going to choose the 97 over the 3. I'm going to choose to know that God is for me, and I'm going to make sure that I'm slowing down, praying first, really remembering who's my identity, who, who where my identity is, and then I'm going to make my decisions. That's the key, is yeah. try not to make my decision when I'm in the house of fear. Oh. I make my decision when I've took the truck and took the car with the Lord's help to my what is truth house, and then I got a better shot of making more of a reasonable yeah. decision, a reasonable choice. On that note, Todd, it's a great way to end. Let's make our decisions not in the house of fear, but in the house of trust. Thank you for coming on the show. Really great to have you. Thanks, Bill, for having me. Appreciate it. You bet. Todd Mulliken has been my guest. You head over to toddmulliken.com, M-U-L-L-I-K-E-N.com. That wraps up our show for the day. Thanks so much to Patrick and to the Monday Afternoon Mix with Pastor David Miles and Matthew St. John and, of course, Todd Mulliken for making the show so wonderful. I hope you have a great night, everyone. I look forward to our time tomorrow. We'll include Jeff Dorn. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at myfaithradio.com.